Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John will be in chapter number 5. We will be back in 1 John, and this will be part 2 of our series that we're doing on Wednesday nights in Confident Christianity. Confident Christianity. Let me just set this up, especially for our teenagers, and I contemplated preaching something different, not in this series, but the way it fell, it seems to be perfect for tonight. My mic is malfunctioning, I apologize. So last week, we began the thought out of 1 John 5, and the best way to set this up is to go back to the fact that no matter what the world says and no matter what liberal, far-leaning scholars try to redefine Christianity as, it really means something to be a Bible believer and it really means something to be authentically in the faith. It truly means something to be a Christian. I know the world gives us an idea and, and, and really the world is willing to re-identify what a Christian is and what a Christian should say and even what a Christian should believe. But the Word of God's clear about who we are as a people and that we can be confident in Christ and what He's given us. And much, much of, of chapter 5 of 1 John is proof of this. Let's go to the 13th verse for the sake of time. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, if you're in the faith tonight and on your way to heaven and you have absolute confidence of that, say amen. amen. All right, this is to you. To, the, to you that have believed on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. If any man see his brother in sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Verse 18 says, here we go again with that wording, we know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. And that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him. That is true. We are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We'll be back in this thought of confident Christianity. Last week, we looked at eternal life, that we can be confident of eternal life, we made the point that every man, every woman under the sound of my voice, or they're in the building or watching online, every single person here will spend an eternity somewhere. 
doesn't matter if you choose to participate. It doesn't matter if you choose to believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, holy, inspired Word of God. The fact that you believe it or don't believe it is actually irrelevant to the fact that you will spend an eternity somewhere. Everyone will spend an eternity somewhere. There are only two places, according to our study last week, that one can go for all of eternity. One, it's called heaven. It's with God in the presence of God. It's free of sin. It's free of health issues. It's free of problems. It's only bliss and joy and celebration. Uh, it's a beautiful place called Beulah. And then the other place is a place called hell. It's eternal judgment. It's eternal wrath. It's everything that Jesus experienced in the darkness of the cross in those three hours when God made him anathema, the curse on the cross, and he became sin. Everything that happened, everything that was accomplished in that darkness for those three hours on the cross is what you will find for all of eternity in hell. You see, my sin has been paid for. My sin has been paid for. My sin has been paid for fully and completely and it was accomplished on the cross and so when Jesus was hanging on the tree and he was in pitch black dark and all of the wrath of God and all the fury of God was pouring out on his own son that fury and that wrath that was being poured out on the body of his own darling precious son Jesus was actually the wrath in the hell that God had intended for me because before Jesus I was an enemy of God fallen in nature that's who I am as a person without Christ. And so we've seen that clearly. We're not going to take any more time to review uh, eternal life. If you have a question about eternal life or you don't understand what eternal life is, don't leave this property tonight without asking somebody about what eternal life is. There is no dumb question when it comes to the Bible. I would rather you be honest and transparent and say, hey, I don't really understand this and I don't get this. Praise God, we can figure that out. We can't fix a problem or a misunderstanding that we don't know exists. So if you are struggling, if you're wondering, what is eternal life? What does it really mean? Teenagers, we welcome you again into our sanctuary tonight. But if there is something that you're struggling with, you always have the opportunity to call your youth pastor to come by campus to talk to Pastor Will, to talk to me, to talk to any of our pastors. That's what we're here for to help you and guide you, lead you as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, tonight, we'll only get to one more point. So this is becoming a multi-week series. But here's number two, and it comes from verse number 14, the next verse, and it says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him. You have to keep that in mind this entire series. This is the confidence that we have in Winston Parish. No, that's not what it says. Uh, this is the confidence that we have in Trinity Baptist Church and its plan and its program as a staff. Nope, that's not what it says. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. Who is Him? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That if we ask anything according to His will, there's the key, He heareth us. So tonight, we'll see point number two in our series that we can be confident as Christians, as believers, confident of answered prayer in the will of God. Confident of answered prayer within the will of God. And you can look at this verse 14 through verse 17 if you're making notes. So I want us to take some time tonight to really have a sort of a spiritual evaluation, uh, a checkup, an assessment of our understanding. Uh, and it all pertains to this thought and this idea of prayer. We might actually spend two or three weeks on prayer before we get to the next point because it's so important. Here, here's the truth. If you're not going to listen to anything else I say tonight, listen to this. If you want to be a confident Christian in 2023, 
And if you want to have the confidence and the authority that God freely gives believers to withstand, as we learned in Titus, even in this present world, in this world of evil beasts, slow bellies, and always liars, if you want confidence and authority to live in the madness that we're living in in 2023, then you must understand what prayer really is. I'm not talking about, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about authentic dialogue with the creator of heaven. We're talking about transparency. We're talking about openness where you speak your heart and your mind and you take your supplications and your worries and your doubts and your fears and you constantly always pour them out before God in communication. Prayer is so important. But here's where I believe we have to start. Before you can really understand confidence, you do have to understand prayer. But before you understand prayer, you have to understand who it is we're praying to. And to understand who we're praying to, there's one element that while we are praying, we have to keep in mind and keep in heart at all times. And that is the fact that our God is a sovereign God. He is a sovereign God. I was asked recently if God is sovereign and he's all-knowing, and he's in control of everything, then what's the point of me praying? If everything is said and God sees everything, then what's the point of me praying? It's going to be what it's going to be. That is a dangerous, cold, callous attitude, and it belongs nowhere in the life of a believer. It belongs nowhere in the life of a believer. We must pray. We must Ask, we must go to him with our hands open as he has called us in this chapter as little children. The best way I can describe it is by saying, Daddy, help me. Like a little kid who needs water or a little kid who can't reach something on the counter. Hey, it's out of my reach. It's out of my control. Daddy, can you help me? How many times have we said that in our own lives? Daddy, I need help. Well, that's what prayer is, church. That's where you look at your father who is in heaven and say, Lord, I can't do this in my own power and I, I don't know what to do. I don't have a stool big enough to get me high enough to get to the place I need to go. And so you say, Daddy, pick me up, help me. Now, don't, don't shrug off the idea, the question that people have asked about prayer, about prayer changing God's mind or the sovereignty of God being willing to change. We'll explain some more of that. We've done this before. But again, I feel it's important we go back and truly understand what it is we're doing when we pray. You can't just shrug that off, that people are asking those types of questions. We must go back to the authenticity of our faith and explain it clearly according to the Word of God and not even my opinion, but what the Bible says about prayer. And we'll never, ever be able to get all of this thought into one sermon. We could spend the rest of this year talking about prayer and we would barely scratch the surface. Again, as I have been saying for weeks and months now, my job, my task, my, my role and responsibility, and then your task, your role, your responsibility in this exchange of preaching the Word of God. I, this is not your primary source of spiritual food. I've said it a couple times. I think the Lord's really trying to help some folks. Uh, this is not the source of your main spiritual food. This is an opportunity for you to be fed and for you to receive the word and to hear preaching and preaching will change your life if you allow the Lord to do it. Preaching in the Holy Ghost, God giving a man a message to preach will change your life. Every single person under the sound of my voice needs preaching. 
not, not the preacher. You need preaching. Everyone needs preaching. And everyone needs to understand that they have a daily duty and responsibility to feed themselves as believers from the Word of God. Go after what God has for you in the Word. And when I do that and I explore the Word of God and I truly have that daily walk of consistency in my Bible, I find out that the Bible has something to say about prayer. The Bible is jam-packed full of commands that point us to the dire need of prayer. Every single one of us has to have a prayer life or I promise you we're in trouble. You can ignore the warning light in your car all you want to, but eventually that little yellow light that's blinking that says check engine is going to get the best of you. And if already tonight your little yellow light's flashing, oh gosh, I can't even remember the last time I prayed. I'm not talking again about you praying over your El Chapala. Lord, thank you for the chips, amen. That's not prayer. That's a quick acknowledgement that God's giving you yet again another meal. And if you're an American Christian, probably your third or fourth meal for the day. That's not prayer. Prayer is you coming to God with everything that you have, exposed to him and say, God, you know me. You know everything about me. You know my faults. You know my motivations. You know my intentions. Now, Lord, here's my supplications. But God, before I ask for anything, would you inspect me and would you change me? This is communication. It is dialogue between two parties. And when you pray, it's not about the action. It's not a religious exercise. The Bible teaches against vain repetition. It's not about you just being loud or being seen. If, you, if that's the point of your prayer, then you've received your reward right then and there. And God looks at it as a joke. But when we're sincere and we're authentic and we come before Him and we pour our hearts before Him, the good news is that He hears us. We're not praying into the vast openness of nothingness. We're not just slinging things against the wall to see if it sticks. We're communicating with our Father who's in heaven. So as Christians, again, you've got to understand all of the aspects of prayer. But as Christians, we have our advocate, our representative in the second person of the Godhead. We talked about him this past Sunday. Jesus, who is worthy. We have a great high priest and we showed you from Scripture last Lord's Day that He is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. He is taking our prayer to the ear of the Father. And when Jesus takes our prayer to the ear of the Father, the Father will not tell His Son no in His perfect will. That's the confidence you can have in prayer. That Lord will hear you, that the Lord will do what's necessary and that He'll move in His will. So if prayer is communicating if it's pleading, if it's dialogue with God, then let's think again a little bit about who it is we're talking to. God is holy. We've just heard it in song. God is righteous. He is mighty. There are none like Him. No, not one. There's no one's righteousness within self that matches even 1% of who God is in His righteousness. Our righteousness, according to scriptures, is filthy rags. And then God is represented in the three literal persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. All three are God. All three are equal in power, equal in authority, and equal in importance. And our church, Trinity Baptist Church, is named in honor, according to our founding pastor, to the triune God. That's why we're Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, it's in honor of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord for the Trinity. 
you don't have the Trinity, you don't have the gospel. If you don't have the Trinity, you don't have the inerrancy of Scripture. If you don't have the Trinity, then you make it question the deity of Christ. Praise God for the Trinity, the triune God. Again, if that doesn't make sense to you or you need to know more about it, ask questions, dive in deep, and be fed. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, if God is who God is, and if He's holy, and if He's righteous, and He's mighty, then if he's God, then that other word that we used earlier, he's sovereign. He is a supreme ruler. God is absolutely sovereign. Say these words with me. God is sovereign. Say it again. God is sovereign. Just the teenagers. God is sovereign. Terrible. 2% participation. You fail. Try it again. God is sovereign. Teenagers, louder. God is sovereign. We're going to have to start catechizing around here. Praise the Lord, God is sovereign. He is a supreme ruler. And, and, and in his supremacy of rule, there, there's some things this, that this means. It's not just a cute catchphrase or something to put on a t-shirt. The sovereignty of God, we can spend the rest of our lives talking about the sovereignty and the control, the power and the might of God, and we would not even begin to scratch the surface. In his sovereignty, he rules over the whole world. The president of the United States of America, who supposedly has all power and authority in the world and is seen as this supreme leader of freedom, has nothing on God. God is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in the world, there's nothing that escapes the control of God. All things that happen in the world have never occurred to God. God already knew it was going to happen before it even happened. God knew how many hairs would be on your head before you were even born. In 1654, when your mommy and your daddy weren't even a forethought on this planet, God ever knew, knew everything about you in your life. That's the sovereignty and the capacity of God. God is never helpless in his sovereignty. God is never frustrated with himself. God doesn't operate in human emotions. There is the wrath of God, the anger of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and all of those attributes are at the same time in their full capacity and power of who he is. It's hard for our minds to get around who God really is. But you say, that's too deep for teenagers. No, that's what got us in trouble in the first place. They can know and understand everything about the, the God of the universe that I know and that you know. And praise God, he's sovereign. You should know, no matter how old you are, if you're in the faith, that you have a sovereign God. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus, Christ's love that's been given to us in God's awesome sovereign providence, it's the place where when we realize we're in his presence, it's the place that's most reverent for the believer. It's most secure. When you know you're in the presence of God, and he's doing business with your heart. And he's speaking to you and he's leading you and he's guiding you and he's directing you and he's giving you exactly what you need. That is the, the greatest peace and joy one could ever know. That the God of the universe would love you enough not only to save you, but according to scripture, that the grace and mercy of God would pursue you every single day of your life so that you can wake up in a mad world where even your life is falling apart. And know that God loves you and that he cares. So I want to give you four pillars. I call them the four chief pillars of God's sovereignty before we go home. I'll never get through all of this. 
But this is why we can have confidence. And this is why prayer is important. You're not praying to a dead God. You're not praying to a little stone, jeweled-eyed, concrete statue or icon. Praise God. You don't have to go to a priest and light a bunch of candles and rub on some beads to talk to God. You can be in your car, driving to work or school and go, Lord, I love you. I worship you. I choose this day to live for you with everything that I have. And you know what? God will do business with you. Before you do business with Him, understand the four pillars of His sovereignty. Number one is that God is sovereign over the universe. Not just America. Not just this side of the globe. But God is sovereign over the universe. First Chronicles 29, 11-12 is a great place for you to understand uh, what David was saying. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. That's pretty possessive. Everything that's in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and give strength unto all. You can be confident because God is sovereign over the universe. Everything that you live in, everything that you see, everything that you know, Somehow, in ways that we can't even understand and, and see, God is divinely in control of that situation. Now, this is for another day, but even things that we see in this world that break our hearts. You see, God is sovereign over the universe, and He never will not be, and He always has been. But in love and in mercy, He allowed Adam to make the choice. He allowed Eve to make the choice. Don't ever allow somebody to tell you that was the accident. That God somehow messed up. Whoops! Wish I'd have made them a little different. They wouldn't have done that. No. The truth is God didn't have robotic love. God had real love. And when men fell... God could have said, Adam and Eve, you've ruined it for all of mankind, all of your descendants. He could have said, that's it. No more. No more do-overs. You had the bliss of this garden. You didn't have to wear clothes. You didn't have to hunt for food. You didn't have to sleep. You could walk around and enjoy the bliss and the splendor of God and the presence of God. And in your fallen state and nature, he could have said, I choose not to love you anymore. And I choose to send you in eternity into hell. But that's not what he did. In love and in grace and in mercy, even the evil things that happen in this world, this is hard to, to swallow sometimes, but it reveals the glory of our God. I hear this one all the time. How can God be merciful and loving and be sovereign over the universe and people have cancer? Because the wages of sin is death. The fallenness of humanity, every sickness and every illness that we were never predisposed to actually have. But because of who we are as people, but God is still sovereign. And when He acts, He acts in a way that pleases Him. God is never constrained to do anything that He doesn't want to do. Think of that now. 
God's never been backed into a corner. God's never had to make a knee-jerk reaction. He's God. He was already there. And He does whatever He pleases, when He pleases, how He pleases, for His glory. That's who He is as He reigns sovereign over the universe. Secondly, we won't take time to get into all of these verses because we've covered it in the first point, but know this, that God is sovereign in salvation. He's sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. I could not help myself if my life depended on it. I couldn't save myself even if I really, really wanted to. I couldn't turn over a new leaf. I couldn't do enough yoga. I couldn't have enough good thoughts and do enough good deeds. It was all Him and I just got the blessing and the participation of being involved that He saved me. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 3, 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Praise God, if you're saved tonight, you better thank God that you're not like this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, that the mind is blind, warring against God, hating God, hating light, hating truth. You better say, thank you, Lord, for saving me in love, in mercy, and in sovereignty. Thirdly, God is sovereign over suffering. This is difficult, church. But when we pray, if we have all of these aspects of God's character and God's nature in mind, it will help us be better prayer warriors. Sometimes when I'm praying, I have to say, Holy Ghost, help me know what to pray for. God, show me what to say, what to pray. I want to be in your perfect will. And sometimes I'm praying for most difficult things, things like this, good godly people that love God, serve God, gave God everything they ever had. And they're sitting here in blue chairs and they worship the Lord. They give their tithe and they love their pastor. And then every Wednesday and every Friday they go to a dialysis center. And they have hemodialysis. I don't know why things happen to people who love God. I can't understand it. I'm not God. But here's what I do know, especially for those that love Him and trust Him, that even in suffering, He is sovereign. God can take the situation that seems the most dire and horrible and abject and dark and in glory and in might. He can open your eyes to see that even in that pain and even in that darkness, He is working for your good. Praise God when I pray, I can pray knowing that yes, it hurts and it's difficult, but God is sovereign over suffering. And if I have to suffer, and if it's for His glory, then I can say, Lord... Thank you for holding my hand through this season. Thank you for being there for me even though I am hurting. The Bible teaches us to learn to love the fellowship of His suffering. Learn what it means to be a Christian. It's not all about health and wealth. Sometimes in His glory, you can be in God's perfect will for your life, living for Him with everything that you have and still suffer and still hurt. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen, it's not a young person's thing to think about eternity a whole lot or to think about the second coming or the second advent of the Lord Jesus. But this is not it if you're in the faith. 
If you're saved and on your way to heaven and you're 15 years old, you have won the lottery of life. God has saved you at a young age and you do not have to go through what the world wants you to go through. You can understand that in this vapor of a life, as fast as it's going to go, that there are going to be days that are horrible. And you're going to go, God, are you even there? Do you love me? Do you care? And you'll have to just say, well, Lord, I choose today to encourage myself in you and know and believe that this is not it. The bliss of heaven is the fact that these pains and these pressures and these problems that we face here, they're going to be gone forever. They're done. There is no more peer pressure in heaven. There's no more pressure of TikTok in the junk that it offers on a daily basis. There's no more pressure of Instagram likes and follows. There's no more pressure of, uh, should I add him to Snapchat or should I not add her to Snapchat? And all that comes with life in these days. That'll all be gone. And old saints of God, there'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more doctors. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. Praise God, there'll be no more marital problems. Praise God. But he's sovereign over suffering. And maybe you're here tonight and you're suffering and you're in that season. Be reminded tonight as you pray that God's sovereign over your suffering. He does, he, he does not look at you to beat you up and to bring you down and to, to chastise you just for being who you are. That's not how God works. God never speaks to his children in the tone of accusation. He speaks to them in the tone of correction if they need it in love. He'll show you. He'll show you. And then if you're in God's perfect will and you're still suffering, you can lean and rest in Him knowing that He is sovereign over suffering. And, and, and here's the truth. Romans 8, 28 is probably the best understanding for all of us. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. If you love God tonight, say amen. Amen. amen I do too. Well, according to this, if we love God, if we're in the faith, to them that love God. I'm not talking about, yeah, I, I acknowledge his existence. I'm talking about if you're in the faith. I'm talking about saved people. If you love God, and, and here's a good offer for you to, to ponder. According to the word of God, Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. It's a good litmus test. I love God, but I don't keep his commandments. According to the word of God, there's, there's something abnormal there. It needs to be investigated. So according to this, to them that love God, all things work together for good. It says all things, even in my suffering. And the ultimate reason that suffering exists in this universe is that Christ can display his great glory in people's lives. I don't think I'm breaking any confidence, nor would I ever embarrass him. But Brother Jerry Payne, if you don't know his name and you're a part of this church, He's a wonderful, wonderful brother in Christ, a leader in this church. And, and Brother Jerry has had an incredible life lived for the Lord. Faithful life. He comes to our 8 a.m. service and our 10 a.m. service on Wednesday. And, and him and his wife, Polly, has suffered some great things. Polly suffered in her health. She's home in heaven now. And today, Brother Jerry was sitting on the front row and he kept talking about Polly kept talking about missing her. He said he had had a dream about his wife being back at home. He said, I would give anything just to go back to that day where we were building our little house and 
we were eating pinto beans and bologna and we were the happiest we've ever been. I'd give anything to go back. You know what I noticed? That my brother in Christ, that great spiritual leader, that man of God who has given so much for this church to even exist, he's suffering. Things in life and expectations and all the things that we even set up for ourselves, that life is going to be X, Y, and Z by the time I'm this old. And those things don't happen. And for Brother Jerry, he's just stayed with it. A faithful witness, a perfect man. No, he would be the first to tell you. But even in his suffering, consistently, constantly, every week, even on the bad days, with big tears coming down his face, he says, glory to God. Praise the Lord, he's so good to me. And, and, and young people, this is what something that really is sticking out to me about Brother Jerry that I'm trying to learn for myself. When he's having his really, really bad days, when things are falling apart, you know what I've noticed is that he doesn't even really have a real conversation with me. He doesn't have a real conversation. All he can do is, it's almost like it just pours out of his mouth. Scripture. He said, I got to missing her, but I know that all things work together for good. I, I, I know that God loves me and I know that my suffering is part of the fellowship with my Savior. And it's all he does is speak in Scripture. You know what he's doing? He's suffering well with his Savior. And God in his sovereignty, as you pray and as you ask him for things in his will, if you'll understand that the tough time that you're in is in his perfect control, it will change the way you pray and it will change the way you believe. You see, we've gotten out of the habit of asking God for great and big and mighty things. Somehow we've capped or we've limited God to his capability. Well, Lord, I can pray for the big stuff like cancer diagnosis and, and big things that are happening in my world and marital problems. But when it comes to the little stuff like, you know, you know, a relationship issue and, and the little pressure in the church and I don't feel, I don't fit in and I don't feel right and they make me feel this way. Somehow we feel like God's too busy to handle that. When the truth is God wants you, God wants you to tell him exactly how you feel. The truth is he already knows it. So just be transparent with him. James talks about this a lot. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The good news is God in his sovereignty will always be sovereign. Praise the Lord. Then lastly, God is sovereign in his divine purpose. Jesus is risen. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And one day he's coming back. That's the good news. I preached it this morning. I hope you go and listen to that message. Praise God, we've already won the victory. You've already won. Listen, if you're in the faith tonight, no matter what you're going through in life, according to Scripture, you've already won. The battle's been fought and it's over. The future history is already available for you in the text. It's been won. So while you suffer and while you wait and while you pray and while you grow in the grace and the knowledge in this vapor, even if you get a hundred years, it's nothing in light of eternity. And you can understand and you can believe and you can know absolutely that God is sovereign over His purpose for your life. 
Here's the truth. You would rather be in a season of suffering in God's perfect will for your life, doing exactly what he wants you to do and being exactly who he wants you to be than to be the most happy, rich, talented, popular person outside of the will of God. Because the truth is, if you've ever tasted the will of God and you've ever been in the perfect will of God, the moment you step out of the perfect will of God and out of his divine purpose for your life, nothing's going to go right. What's wrong with a lot of Christians is they're out of God's will. You bring people into your office and you say, well, I know you're having a problem, you're having anxiety, you're having issues, and things are falling apart. How's your Bible reading going? And we get as red as a tomato. Whoops. You're out of God's will. The Bible tells you to grow in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to do that? Through His Word. How are we going to know what His plan and purpose for our life is if we're not asking Him? I want to be in God's will for my life. All of us should say that together, that we want to be in His perfect will. The truth is you can be confident because of who He is. And you don't have to be ashamed to be a Christian. You don't have to be ashamed to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You don't have to be ashamed to hold to the truth of everything you find in Scripture. And you can be confident because you can know that God hears your prayer and that in His will, He will answer it. We'll explore more of that thought on prayer next week. But I'm thankful for the power of prayer. I want, here's the truth. I want to be a more confident Christian. This all stemmed from something we said in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. And I think we even said it last Sunday morning at 10.30. We're living beneath our privilege a little bit. We're living beneath our privilege. There's a vast treasure, a vast economy available for us as Christians. And some days we get too overwhelmed, we cross our arms, we say, well, it's a bad day, there's nothing I can do about it, and we leave the vast resources of God left untapped. Confidence is being able to look at it in the face and saying, greater is he that is in me than, is, than he that is in the world, and knowing that God is sovereign over all things. And then taking what you feel, what you know, what you believe, and taking it before him in prayer. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for prayer. We thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you for who we pray to. God, I'm thankful that you're in control of all things. God, that prayer is in your perfect plan to enact your will. God, that you chose to use fallen, broken men like me. God, to be able to communicate with you to bring about your perfect plan. And God, I'm thankful for every person that's here tonight. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And God, we're thankful that we can come to you and pray. God, that I don't have to live this life without a lifeline. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. God, thank you for sending the comforter, the Holy Ghost. God, to give us what we need to lead God and direct us. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us, for all that you've accomplished on this campus. We pray for Brother Ronnie, God, for Unity Baptist Church in Ripley, Mississippi, for all those dear precious people that love him and miss him tonight. Lord, we pray that you'd bless that church. God, we pray that you'd bless Brother Ronnie as he goes to camp meeting. God, keep him safe on the road, all these miles that he'll be traveling. God, I pray that you'd be with his precious wife or be with his family. 
Bless him, Lord. Lord, we pray for everything that's happening on campus this week. And God, we already, in this moment, we give you the Lord's day. We ask you to move in our service. God, touch every aspect of everything that we're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.